From Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Ollie Rubens from Undo. Ollie, it's really nice to have you on. Thanks so much, Brad. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited. So, Tell me a bit about yourself and your company. Sweet. So, yeah, I'm Ollie. I'm a VP Sales at Undo uh, or Undo.io if you want to find us online. And we are the, the leading providers of a software failure replay platform. So I think no, usually no one knows what that is. So I'll give a bit of a brief uh, background on what that is and, and maybe some of my background too. Software failure replay, the, the best analogy that we used to use would almost be something like a black box flight recorder or maybe a CCTV camera catching a crime. Your software, for some reason, it's going wrong, whether that's in your production environment or your test environment. And you need to know why it's failing. And for companies, big organizations, whether it's there was that big slack outage when we all came back to work. Yeah. And obviously, or trading systems or networks, this is obviously critical infrastructure. And you need to be able to figure out what's going on. And we are recording in the background everything that your process is doing and essentially letting you replay that and therefore get to the root cause of what just screwed up my critical application faster than anything else out there. Nice. That's very cool. It's, yeah, it's, and I guess just the company was started uh, by a couple of developers out of Cambridge, UK, actually not affiliated with the university, unusually, but initially making what we call the time travel debugger. And we realized that we could expand that, not just as a developer tool, but turn it into this platform for just all sorts of critical outages uh, across software. Um, nice. Very cool. So yeah. tell me a bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, my background out of, I guess, goes back to all the way sort of university, left it and didn't know what I was going to do. I got a job at a strategy consultancy and they made the really silly mistake of saying, we don't want you to join right away. Come join. I think I left university in July and they said, start in April. And so, um, so I decided to start my own company with some friends who was, I guess we were bored. We had nothing to do with come the following March. This was a sort of, it was a kind of wacky PR consultancy idea we had. We landed our first five figure contract and I thought I would hate myself if I didn't turn that, see where that went. And, and like all good first startups or maybe not good first startups, uh, it crashed and burned. <laughs> Within, I think, four months of that contract being signed. So I, I learned plenty of good lessons, but I, I guess I, I got the startup bug. So since then, I ent- found the, the Cambridge UK ecosystem, joined an IP consultancy as their kind of sales and marketing, do everything person, and found out about Undo. And I think I was the fifth or sixth full-time employee to join Undo. Again, joined in that kind of dog's body, do everything role. And as we've built the team out, I've gone from that to moving to the US and establishing our kind of customer base and full-time presence here, setting up the office and and eventually was given the opportunity by our our CEO to fully manage the sales team and take that challenge on. And so I've been doing that now for two and a half or three years. Nice. Oh, very cool. So tell me a bit about what this past year has looked like for you guys in this space. It's, yeah, it's, I think, I guess, fascinating and interesting and challenging and I think there are two parts of this. There's the, for us, there's the new customer side of it. And then there's the sort of internal pre-existing managing those relationships. So, so I think from a new customer perspective, it was, I think, really interesting. We did most of our 
sort of we had a, a well-refined BDR team beginning of 2020. They were bringing in, I don't know, 25 or 30 first meetings every quarter without fail. It was getting to the point where it was metronomic. And uh, obviously the last nine months has been somewhat different. And the things that were working for them, like dr- just dried up 100%. The, the final course where we still had BDRs doing kind of regular BDRE things, I think we booked six meetings. That just dropped off a cliff. Uh, and so I think figuring out how we build and maintain pipeline is just like the biggest challenge and something that I think we've had to solve it in multiple different ways. It's not one of these things of we built that BDR process up over I don't know, several years and you're not going to be able to stand it back up immediately. But I, I think the sort of key things for us were launching a new product that's a bit more developer first so that anyone can go to our website and download something and they can see what time travel debugging is about and they can educate themselves on software failure replay at kind of a lower price point than the big enterprise solution. So I think that's kind of part of it. And then part of it has just been doubling down on our network and referrals and the good relationships we have built up, le- leaning on those to take us through some, some challenging times. Totally. So who does your customer tend to be then? It, it, obviously, organizations, I imagine, that are building software that, and then all software has these bugs to squash. But tell me a bit more about what that market looks like. Absolutely. Our market is, I guess, we, we always characterize it as mission critical enterprise software like those are our customers and we have some sort of technical qualifying caveats we're a linux shop not not microsoft or or anything else and i guess running on sort of x86 big aws servers desktops what, what you'd expect not so much like mobile devices or something like that and so what that means is our customers are the yeah people running kind of big software applications and i would say we have focused on a few specific industries so it's data management so I think SAP, are the sort of biggest European data company there, they're our sort of big customer in there. Networking, so someone like a Juniper, I'll say I've got a bunch of other networking customers we're sadly not allowed to talk about. And then I think our first market, which is a little bit more niche, is EDA, electronic design automation. These are the people that make the software to make chips. And so I think that the classic example of this is like Apple, the suppliers that have allowed Apple to design their fantastic m1 chip there are customers like siemens and cadence that's very cool so obviously it sounds like this past year there's been a lot of changes in this space what do you see for the year ahead what's the big focus and initiatives and what does the year ahead look like for you guys so for us i think it's doubling down we we launched this product this developer focused product and it's it's going well we've got our first few deals on that the, nice. the sort of team teams winding up but of course what you've got to prove is, especially to investors in a smaller organization, that you're building a scalable model where you can go and close these lower dollar deals and convert those at some future point into big enterprise deals, mm. which is that's been our traditional kind of bread and butter. And so I think for me, it's, it's about building that and mapping out that process and trying to turn it into something really repeatable so that, you know, we can have, it's not just going to be two teams, a kind of an inside sales team selling one product and an enterprise team trying to sell upsell. Uh, It's going to be something which I can put down in front of investors and say, we are going to see 10% conversion rates from this product to our enterprise product. And, you know, that's going to be the the challenge for 2021. Totally. Awesome. I'm really curious, how do you build relationships with your target market and the name of our podcast being the lifelong customer? 
How do you build those lifelong customer relationships? So I think it starts out and I think it, for me, it actually starts out with the hiring process with, with the people we're bringing into our sales team and the two things we look for, which are sort of integrity and energy. And it's because we're selling this kind of out there. It's a novel product. People haven't heard of it. And so it's ramming it down people's throats in a way that they don't want it, overselling it, so to speak, is going to immediately sour those relationships. Naturally, if I go back into sort of how we figured that out, I can remember, I think, my first big enterprise deal where we took our main product, Live Recorder, and we were in, in Siemens and we took it from that kind of first, I think they had 10 seats of our debugger and we sold our enterprise first enterprise deal in there. And it was a year long process. That wasn't just a year long of me picking up the phone every two weeks to their engineering director and asking nicely for meetings. It was a sort of very formally structured sort of evaluation process where we were taking this technology, which we didn't know whether we could work at this bigger scale. And we were trying to make it work in this customer's environment. And we knew they had a lot of pain. We knew that if we could help them out, that we could make them and their customers hundreds of times happier. But we weren't really sure we could do it, honestly. We initially gave them our product and it didn't work. And being able to hold your hands up and say in that meeting, I know you're in a lot of pain and I'm sorry we're not working, but here are the 10 issues. And I, I mean, it really, that first time it was like 10 issues. Here are the, this long list of issues that we need to resolve. And not only is it going to make us work, but it's also going to get us inside this performance envelope you need. And it's going to allow us to hopefully sell you a product. And I think being able to credibly, I think with technical literacy, unfortunately, as well, it's not just a sales job. It's we have sales engineers as well to help out with this, to lay that out and say, we're, we're not trying to BS you here. There's a path that gets you to a deal. And I, I think that kind of high integrity, honest, and then unfortunately somewhat sophisticated, being able to message that on the flight of the customer is the thing that kind of kicked that relationship off and turned it into something real. And they're now one of our very biggest customers, hundreds of thousands in, in ARR and licensing us in, in more than that product that we just integrated with. And I think the exciting thing for me was the, the engineering director who sort of I had that relationship with actually moved companies a few years ago. And my CEO was, I think, taking a meeting at this new company and bumped into the guy. And he is very sweet. And I feel get kudos from my CEO to this day because that guy, Ramesh, said, oh, yeah, I know you. I know Andu. I know Ollie. I worked with him. Right. And it, it's that feeling of it being worth knowing. You, you weren't just a sales guy. You were the guy that helped them through that entire process. And doing that without overselling was the thing that I think means I can text him to this day and catch up with him, right? That's very cool. So what key advice would you give to other sales and marketing leaders listening in terms of building these lifelong customer relationships? So I think, yeah, approaching it with that kind of that openness, that integrity, I think realizing where you're at in the relationship is the kind of the first part of that. On, on day one, like we as salespeople, we're all instructing our teams to go and find out as much information as possible and get on the same side of the table as the customer and figure out whatever it is you need to figure out to qualify that deal in or out in the first meeting. And the reality is that you can't always do that. Your relationship's not there yet. And you've got to be very honest and open about that. And so I think 
I think it's looking for that inflection point, the point where you can bring yourself onto the same side of the table as the customer. And we were just talking with one of our more junior sales reps. I was in a meeting with him, just doing sort of his account review. And we were just looking, saying, okay, you're, you're just getting to the point where we've run a successful evaluation. He has no idea how to navigate his internal purchasing organization and he needs help. And this is, this is the moment, this is that inflection point that you can say, okay, my job here is no longer to sell to you. You're convinced. You, you think our product's really cool. My job now is to be your facilitator. It's to help you in an environment that's unfamiliar to you and unfamiliar to us as well. But we as salespeople have probably gone through a few purchasing departments before. And so we, we're much better placed to help out than the, the software developer who's right now trying to you know, keep their head above water and think, how the hell do I get a multi-billion dollar corporation to, to license some software? So yeah, it's know where you're at, manage your uh, relationships really carefully and manage sort of what questions you can and can't ask. And then look for that inflection point. That's the, that time you can be on the same side and turn, the, turn it into a proper partnership, especially with that stakeholder. I love that. I love that you're like, put yourself on the same side of the table as the customer. What does it look like to be on the same side of the table versus different sides of the table? So uh, I, I, it's hard because it's sometimes it's a feeling. And I think sometimes it's, you can be on both sides at once. So just to give a really good example right now, we're dealing with a, a sticky renewal and the, the engineering director who's said, you guys are fantastic. I want to renew your strategic. You, we want a long-term relationship. He's still on the same side of the table as us, but he's gone very quiet because obviously we're in deep conversations with purchasing. We're negotiating with dotting I's and crossing T's. And this is, this is our first year renewal. But when you're on the same side of the table, even in those contexts, you can rely on that person to, you know, pick up the phone to purchasing and say, call off the dogs. This is the best deal you're going to get. You can rely on that person to give you insight about the rest of the organization or make referrals. And I would say in general, it's about cultivating relationships to become, I think we categorize them internally as a coach. It's, it's someone who is not just trying to, to use your product, but is actually trying to coach you to sell better into their organization. And I think if you get, can get that coaching relationship going, then yeah, you're on the same side of the table and you're going to stick that way. You cultivate that. Nice. That's awesome. Hey, well, thanks so much, Ali, for joining. It was awesome to have you on. I appreciate you sharing all your wisdom here. That's fantastic. Yeah, really good fun, Brad. And best of luck with Revenue Rhino. Thanks.